Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer, author, and software architect. And I'm Beach, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development. Complete Developer Podcast is supported by listeners like you. We are now on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Complete Developer Podcast. Every so often, you'll end up working for a company that uses very outdated technology. While the reasons for this are numerous, a lot of these companies don't really see the problem with the technology they're using, especially if the technology is currently working for them. In this episode, we're going to discuss some of the business risks of using outdated software frameworks and tools. The goal is to help you to be able to advocate for upgrades when the business is resistant to doing so. But before we get started, Will, what's been outdated with you this week? I, I don't even know. I was going somewhere and it just didn't go. I was wondering what you were going to do there. <laughs> and now I know. It hadn't been really anything outdated. I'm juggling several different things, like I'm porting a data export from a legacy system over to the newer system. And, uh, you know, the database schema has been redesigned. The way that some things work has been completely reconceptualized. And the client expects the data to be in the same format as it was previously. So there's a pretty gnarly SQL query that I've been working on for off and on for about two weeks. That's the main thing I'm doing right now. Well, I'm doing that. And then I'm like, there was another project where we got burned by a software package that we thought was open source. You know, looking at the website, it wasn't obvious. And it turns out that, oh, yeah, it's actually closed source and you have to pay like a $1,500 license fee. Obviously, isn't going to work for us. And so I'm, I'm having to pull that out and deal with that. That's going on. And then WordPress has to get patched at work. And then one of my junior devs took on a fairly big project. And so I've got to jump in there with him. I'm on two different committees at work. And my calendar is pretty horrible right now. I can't get a, uh, a space to actually get work done. So it's been interesting. I think it's, it's, it'll taper off here in a minute. It's kind of hard to get through it right now. Cause you know, like you're, you're running as fast as you can to stay exactly where you are. It's a lead thing that we all do to ourselves every so often. So it's completely normal, but kind of <laughs> A little bit rough at the moment. So how about you? Well, uh, Friday night, I went over early for group because there's a few of us. We get together, we do a little kind of worship and prayer time before we have our small group. Basically, there's like three of us that do that. Uh, the two leaders and then one of the other girls on the worship team gets off work early and comes over. But uh, this was my first week with my guitar. There's kind of a rule for the worship team about it's sort of a fairness rule, not helping people who are auditioning because they can't help everyone who's auditioning. And it's not fair for those who have friends on the worship team or who have been at the church for a while and decide, Hey, I want to join versus someone who's brand new and doesn't know people. So there, there's sort of that, that fairness thing going on. Anyway, that was so much fun, dude. Had I known how much I'd enjoy playing with other people, I would have been doing this over a year ago. And it was great because my co-leader of the group, she plays keyboard and was so patient with me. And just like, because she knows I'm, I'm learning to play with other people and stuff. I can play the guitar, but I've not played with others. And so if I got off a little bit, she would just like walk me back through it. Of course, 
we have the same personality type. So she called me Saturday to tell me about she was watching uh, my dog for me. And she called me Saturday to ask me about that. And uh, I said something to her about how helpful it was. And she's like, oh, thank goodness. She's like, I was so worried that I was being rude to you. I'm like, oh, no, you were being super helpful. It was just amazing, which was really cool. And I'll probably get a geek out about that a bit in the aftercast with Chris. Just a heads up. Us guitar players get going. You know how it is. Oh, yeah. I'm quite familiar with that. (laughs) No, that's right. You got into a Russian conversation in our Slack channel. So, yeah, a very light Russian conversation. Yeah. Well, maybe for you, but for those of us who don't speak Russian, it was all Russian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, so uh, I had a, a very busy weekend this weekend. I was in four different states. Was one of them confusion? A little bit, yeah. No. After group Friday night, I drove out to North Carolina to a cabin that my sister and her family were staying in. They have a friend who owns the cabin and let them stay there. So they had driven up from Florida. Saturday, we all went down to the Georgia Apple Festival in North Georgia. Spent the day there having fun. Then on Sunday, I got up early, drove through North Carolina, Tennessee, and Georgia, all to get to Alabama to attend a church at the uh, Huntsville campus of Church of the Highlands. That was really cool. I've been wanting to go down there. I attended their leadership conference last year, but it was online and I have a lot of material and stuff. Like our church is a uh, part of the same network of churches as them. So we get a lot of material from them and stuff like that. So it was really cool to go down to one, their main campus, but to actually get to be there. They're doing a series right now where they had printed out a study guide to go with it. And I wanted a copy of that study guide. So I was able to get that too, which was really cool. I did have a lot of fun. Spending time with my sister and my nieces this weekend. My oldest niece plays guitar and sings. So I had my guitar with me and was sitting there practicing. I didn't even have it plugged in. I was just, you know, didn't want to bother anybody, but I did want to get some practice in. So I'm sitting there practicing. My my niece walks up and she looks down at the sheet music and starts flipping through it. She's like, I know this song. So, of course, we had to put on a show together, you know, for the family. So, yeah, if you follow me on uh, social media, you probably saw the photos from that. It was really cool. Then last night, last night was rough. I wrote two annotated bibliographies and did a five problem assignment, which if you think five problems doesn't sound like much, each problem is actually like about 12 problems. Yeah, it's IT problems. Yeah, right. it's IT problems. So it's like each problem is a an image or a graph and then there's 12 questions or usually about 12 questions underneath that. So uh, I did that and had to record five minute video for each one of them last night. But it was worth it. It was worth it because I got to take the weekend off, go on a road trip and see some family. So it was absolutely worth it. I knew what I was getting myself into when I went out of town, but totally worth it. Saving money is hard, especially when your concepts of finances are outdated. Lucas Casares is a fee-only certified financial planner. He owns and runs Level Up Financial Planning virtually out of Fort Collins, Colorado. 
And just like us here at CDP, he focuses on helping you to not only establish a real plan for your finances, but also to take action on that plan so that you can create your best life. The thing is, investing in financial planning services, what it comes down to is whether or not you can improve your finances through those investments. And with the help of Level Up, the compounding impact of making better financial decisions will easily and quickly pay for itself. And speaking of paying for itself, Level Up has a unique pricing model that will help you no matter where you are in your financial journey. So it's never too early to start. Mm -hmm. The cool thing about Lucas is he is a fiduciary for his clients. And what that means is he's not there to sell you a product. Instead, you pay for his services because he's helping you work your way into a better financial situation. And you can catch him on his podcast, Techie Personal Finance Bootcamp, where he covers financial topics you probably face and interviews other techies who share how they navigated their careers. And you can also learn more at levelupfinancialplanning.com. Old technology runs the world. No matter how much you keep on newer technology, you'll find some seriously deprecated stuff floating around out there. A lot of times, especially earlier in your career before your hourly rates get too high, management will try to convince you to work on legacy technology. Sometimes the technology has some good points. While we're not in favor of just throwing out old stuff because it's old, Older technology does come with a lot of downsides, especially for those who are not experienced with it. First, it makes it a lot harder for you to get a job anywhere else, unless it's an industry thing, which can mean that using older technology is career limiting. Another thing, older technology may have been superseded by a newer version of the same technology. This makes it even harder to get technical support because now they only support the newer stuff. Unless you're Microsoft, then you have to support the old stuff because the government uses it. Yeah, all the way back to Windows 3.11. Yeah. And then finally, older tech might also limit your development options in ways that add a lot of work. And that's kind of work that management's not really going to understand very well. Many powerful systems have been built with older technology and are still adequately maintained. You'll often run into situations where older technology is being used in a business simply because of inertia or because someone used Silverlight once and you know never again because you know they got canceled after they invested in it. I've got tons of stories on this. People in general have a bias towards things they know and understand. It's one of the reasons that civilization actually works, by the way. People can reason about things a lot more easily when there are fewer variables involved. However, in technological professions, the old and established might better be understood as the crusty and barely working. Our job is to speed up and improve processes to the best of our ability. Old technology can often get in the way of this for a variety of reasons. Further, the business people in your company will not understand when you try to express why the software is getting in the way. They just assume we're whining. And to be fair, sometimes we are. While older technologies can definitely work well for the purposes they were designed for, we are frequently confronted with situations that the original authors of basically any technology didn't consider, even newer stuff. 
we have a security landscape that really at best could be characterized as a cross between uh, dystopia and idiocracy. You don't need to watch that movie again. It's my favorite documentary. <sighs> right. Every day, more demands are placed on older systems with new requirements for reporting, compliance, accessibility, integration with third-party systems, or even compliance with new security restraints. Yeah. Actually, what I was thinking when I wrote that sentence was the TLS updates. Yep. The speed at which things change is always increasing, and we often find ourselves staring at our screens, realizing that the software we are maintaining today will not survive an upcoming event horizon. There is hope, though. The newer a technology is, the more likely it is that someone else has already done at least some of the legwork required to bring it up to snuff. I don't really say that phrase very often. I just read it. However, we can't actually express it this way to management. Instead, as developers, we have to learn how to explain things to business people in a way that convinces them rather than trying to explain it to them as if they themselves are developers. This goes back to our very first episode. It does. We have a bias, right? Like we don't realize that we have gone through things that change the way that we think. And so we think that other people think the way we do. And that's not it anymore, right? Like mm-hmm. you're dealing with programmatic thought processes. It's, it's not the same thing. So in this episode, we're going to talk about the problems that old software frameworks and tools can cause from a business perspective. While we're sure that everyone listening has at least some experience with how old software causes headaches, we recognize that business people often can't see the problem until it is too late to actually solve the problem. Therefore, it's up to us to be able to clearly explain how outdated software and frameworks can cause problems that they can see in a way that lets them make reasonable decisions about that software. Now, note here that we're not trying to get them to agree with us 100%. We're simply trying to get them to see. Our jobs depend on them being able to come to a reasonable conclusion based upon examination of data and evidence, not based on their agreement with our opinions. Remember, we don't always have the whole picture either. Sometimes we're stuck with the old tech for a while for a very good reason. Our job is to make sure that it is a good reason, not some variant of a sunk cost fallacy. So the first risk we're going to talk about is that uh, security updates come slowly if they're free or they come at a cost. Companies that make software frameworks are incentivized to provide timely security updates for their recent software packages because those are the things that are actively being marketed. They're not so incentivized to do the same for older stuff unless that is getting negative attention for the company. Right. Now, this means that you might be able to get the vendor's attention if you make enough noise on Twitter. However, that's not necessarily a good strategy for a critical business system, right? Like you don't want to be in a a situation where it's like, well, if I annoy the crap out of them, I can get this fixed because it's your business at risk. You really want timely support, preferably before you know you need it. No. I've seen people try to do that on Twitter before. Oh, yeah. And it will work sometimes. Oh, yeah. It kind of depends on um, how much support you can get behind you. Because if it's like one person complaining, not that often. 
And it also depends on the size of the company too, because if it's like a smaller company, they're more apt to have someone who can say something monitoring their Twitter account versus larger company that's just going to be like, have some marketing intern monitoring it and not understand what's going on and be like, we don't even sell that anymore. Why are they complaining? Now, this tends to mean that you either pay a premium for extended support if it's available from the vendor, or you're going to pay in other ways. You may have to hire contractors who charge a lot of money or use other expensive software to kind of close the gap. Right. So I've seen this. This was years ago with a software package that basically wrapped like old school mainframe technology with web services, right? Because people needed to extend it and they needed the the security layer layer for that extension. And it was, you know, like old VAX systems. And this would have been you know, early 2000s. It was like $80,000 for their software to do this because it's like, hey, you know, you're using an, an older system. Now, granted, VAX still works, but for what they wanted it for, they couldn't get the support. And so some third party had to build that support. And the third party charged an arm and a leg because they're like, hey, if you're still running VAX, you're an old successful company and we can shake you down for the money. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, not fair enough, but it makes sense. It is kind of fair enough. Here's the deal. Upgrades to newer software versions are probably not free in a lot of cases. But that doesn't mean that it's cheaper than staying with the legacy version that you you know already paid for, in air quotes. Because it doesn't come without continual maintenance costs, right? Like software is not really free, even the free software. If I download Linux and I install it on this box tonight, that is not a free operation. It cost me time. It cost me a lot of configuration in text files. Probably once I screw up the video card driver, it cost me a lot of time looking up Vim commands on my phone, try to figure out how to fix something. Because <laughs> that's what happens to me literally every time. It's not free. It's just you're shifting the cost somewhere where you can stand it. Yeah. So the next risk is that as other software in your ecosystem updates, that increases the chance of crashes and downtime because of your older stuff. Software does not exist by itself. It is part of an ecosystem. Even extremely old software, like the software that was on a rocket going to the moon, still has to be able to communicate with you know the base station. It still has to be able to communicate with all the hardware on the rocket. Right. Like this is literally going to probably the most isolated thing that we put our software in. And it still has to communicate. It still has to function in an ecosystem of other software. So there is no such thing as isolated software that actually does anything that anybody wants because to do anything that anybody wants, it has to interface with other stuff. Except for that one computer in that one room in Mission Impossible. Or, you know, somebody's got a PDP-11 out there floating around in a closet somewhere. I mean, there was there was one university that had one running that they did not know was running. And it was like, it was in a room that had been walled off. And they were doing maintenance and got in there and there's this PDP-11 plugged in, still working. And it was, it was handling something critical. I forget what it was for the university, but they didn't, they could not find the box physically <laughs> until they did renovations. Um, but that said, it was still interfacing with the outside network. That's funny. 
Yeah. Well, it, it happens. So you have to get over this, right? Like you have to understand that your software relies on the operating system, the drivers, the APIs that it talks to. This is web APIs. This is system APIs. Um, this is, you know, the kernel, all the stuff that's under the hood that you're dealing with, you know, databases, uh, even the protocol stack. You know, you talked about, you know, TLS before, right? That was a pain updating that on old legacy software because a lot of those software packages, you couldn't just update and say, okay, I want to use the newer TLS because, you know, it's in an enum and you can't, it only goes up to the, whatever the version was before. And that one's not in the enumeration unless you update your whole framework. Cause I, you know, I ran into that one. So these things update over time. And so if you're going to work with them, you have to update as well. Now, these things are more stable than most software itself because they're, they're designed for that. But on a long enough timeline, these dependencies will also change. Well, you might have been able to pursue a gradual update path if you'd kept up to date with your framework, which is what you should be doing. But if you leave things alone, you may suddenly or even unexpectedly find yourself having to do a lot of work for upgrades just because you're so far behind and some dependency is broken. You really want to get a good feel for this. Don't update your uh, JavaScript framework for like, I don't know, two weeks. <laughs> Ouch. Sorry. <laughs> no, try, to, try to update from AngularJS to Angular 10. Oh, yeah. If you want to see that. And that's not that long. No, but just going from AngularJS to Angular 2. <laughs> Yeah. If you weren't, weren't 1.6, because you remember we did some consulting for someone who, non-developer, business owner, wanted uh, had heard about all this cool stuff in Angular 2 and wanted to update. And we came in and we're helping them out with stuff. And like, yeah, here's the cost for changing to Angular 2 from where you are. Or here's how to get all the stuff that you want that you've heard about in Angular 2 with out having to go through that process. That was a fun conversation. I have a friend who wrote a JSON parser and a JSON serializer in VB5, I think, Hmm. five or six. Right, so this is software that went out in the early 2000s. He still uses that framework and he had to write his own parser for JSON, which if you've ever looked at what... like JSON is not a favorite serialization framework once you start looking at how some of the weird edge cases happen. I kind of get the impression that it wasn't really built for that. <laughs> it's just like we we did every, you know, the same thing with it that we do with everything in JavaScript and we just kind of hammered it into the shape we want <laughs> and it shows. So he had to deal with that uh, in Visual Basic. So had he kept his stuff up to date, this probably would not have been an issue for him. Now he's got other stuff that VB actually works well for him on, and that's why he's done that. But you have to be ready to do that if you're going to stick with something old. Sometimes upgrades also require effort from your potential clients as well, right? So like that's why the gradual upgrade is easier because if you don't do it for five years and then you suddenly have to, it's a big deal for all your clients to do it too versus a you know small incremental upgrade that they're used to. For instance, if you're using a hashing or encryption algorithm for passwords, because, you know, like you're, you're crazy enough to actually want to store those yourself, 
and you happen to be, you know, storing them hashed in the database, right? Because you got like old school ASP.NET is a great example, like where you're not using a third party, you're not using Auth0 or Cognito or whatever. So you're storing it and you're hashing those. Well, if that algorithm gets to the point where it's outdated enough and somebody finds a way to break it, mm-hmm. what happens? Well, your clients are going to have to update their passwords, right? Where their their clients are going to have to update their passwords as as well. So what do they have to do? Well, they have to send out emails, go, hey, reset your password. You're going to have to have some kind of scheme to know which algorithm you used to make the hash for that person, right? And then when somebody updates their password, you hash it with a new scheme, but they're going to have people hanging out there potentially for years with the old insecure one. Right. So this is also something you have to get ahead of. Like you can't do it at the last possible minute because you're going to get nailed. I've seen this one happen more than once. So it sounds like something you could just put off till the last minute, but it, it really isn't because there's a thing about updating that you don't want to be like, typically you don't want to be the, the bleeding edge of the updates. You want to wait till like a patch or two comes out, but you don't want to wait too long. Yeah, it's like the best way I would describe it is imagine that you're a buffalo. Unless you are the biggest, baddest buffalo out there, the middle of the herd is where you want to be because the front gets pushed off the cliff and the back gets picked off by the predators. And keeping up with version differences in software is exactly like that. In fact, there's just as much crap on the ground. See, I'm just sitting here thinking about how much I want wings. Yeah, buffalo is really good. <laughs> that you mentioned that Mm. (laughs) thanks man you're welcome so the next risk is the increased cost of maintenance software written on older frameworks costs more to maintain if you want someone with a year or two experience in the framework you're going to be hiring only more seasoned developers who are going to cost more right so like if I have somebody today and I'm hiring them and I go, Hey, I, I want somebody with two years experience with angular nine or better, right? There's a lot of those people. Now let's say that I pick an older framework, uh, not even angular. Let's say I, I want somebody with two years experience in knockout JS. I'm hiring a senior at that point, whether I need one or not. Because they're just old at that point. Like they've been around long enough. They're, they're wanting a senior rate. They're not going to, you know, they're not a fresh grad at that point. Trying to think of who all I know who can do knockout. Me. We got a couple of listeners. I know one or two other people who can. Yeah. One of them's not real good that you're thinking of, but okay. I I know that. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Not sorry at all. Uh, it's not like that person's going to be listening to this episode anyway. No. Now, you might try to get around this by saying, okay, I'll just hire a junior dev that knows other stuff and then I'll train them, right? That only really works well if you have seniors around who can actually teach them. So you still need several. And those seniors are not going to be effective at getting their work done while they're teaching these people. In addition, a lot of them are not going to uh, really enjoy that either. Right. Because they know that, okay, here's cheaper labor to replace what I'm doing and I'm supposed to be training them. Like everybody looks at that and goes, I know exactly what this is. So you're going to have problems if you if you try to do it that way. This also makes development jobs at your company into a bit of a dead end position. 
basically anyone taking the job is making it a lot harder for themselves to get hired anywhere else unless they want to go into consulting after they leave there, you know, and with the old tech, yeah, which is certainly viable. But again, it's not a long term position. No, it's not. You either pay a premium for these people, pay a premium for the high turnover, or you end up hiring the bottom of the barrel. Yeah, at a premium. Yeah. Right. So you get the guy that's got a, uh, you know, he's he's got a couple of felonies recently, but his parole officer says he's maybe getting a little better. So you can hire him at a regular, right? And positions where that's not a bad thing to do, right? Because mm. uh, you, know, you should give people a second chance if they're trying to turn their life around. However, there are cases where that does not work very well. Or you get somebody that, hey, they've been fired from the last five places because they fell asleep on the job or they stole stuff or whatever. You'll rapidly see companies do this thinking that they can get by with the cheaper developers and they either have the high turnover, they overpay, or they get people that won't work, or they get people that, you know, hey, I'm working this job and I pretend to be slow, but I'm actually working these other two jobs and I'm doing my consulting on the clock. I've seen that one a few times too. I don't know about you, man, but uh, I sleep at work. I just don't do it on the clock. Yeah, well, because we work from home. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. That was that terrible. Works. That was one of my worst ones yet, dude. That was that was horrible. Now, bear in mind that if your framework is out of date, it's not just your developers that you'll be paying. You'll likely also experience other costly problems, such as turnover, low morale, and interpersonal issues among staff, Especially if you hire a couple of good people, pay them well, and then try to round your numbers out with low-quality devs. You're good. People are going to get overworked. Yeah, you're also going to pay... Will doesn't have it in here, but uh, you're going to pay in the time that it takes to integrate with newer updates that we've already talked about. That's going to cost, and that's going to cost overtime a lot of places. Yeah, and the software that you're relying on, you're running old versions of that too. So you're potentially also paying extra for all the things under the hood, right? Like it's not, yeah. you know, your software is the the tower on the hilltop, but there's a whole lot of dirt under there that you're also paying for. Now, another thing you'll run into, and you know, Beach kind of alluded to this, is when you use older frameworks, a lot of times you will get decreased pro- productivity. Now, this isn't always true, but it's true often enough. Basically, the cases where it's not true are statistically insignificant, right? I would make the argument that, for instance, when people jumped from classic Visual Basic to VB.net, there was a productivity hit there that took a while to get over. By 2005, it was gone. And you're going to kind of see, you saw the same thing with, you know, switching from WinForms to WPF. Although, arguably, I would say that for me, that's still probably true. (laughs) It's still probably a, a drop in productivity. But... You know, again, a lot of times when you're using newer stuff, there are faster ways of doing things. There's more structure they've learned from how they did it previously and they're doing it better now. Yeah, that that makes sense. In addition to uh to difficulties with older tooling, older frameworks can often require a lot more effort to implement things the newer ones take for granted. That is assuming that it's even possible. If it isn't, you're going to have to hack. Yeah, I've, I've seen and done that. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, not proud of those, but, you know, it, it works. Yeah, 
I mean, like even down to the level of, hey, I'm going to write a program in C. I'm going to shell execute out to it and then have it write to a file and then read from the file from my other program because I can't integrate effectively <laughs> in the timeline I've had. Like I've had to do that. I and, believe that. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to. That's not a good place to be, but your your developers will get there, especially the other thing is, is you're you're going to have a hard time holding on to the, to the best people. And so the people that are there are going to do things that they can make work, whatever that is. So, yeah, it it, it really burns you uh, <laughs> remarkably quickly. And, you know, the, the thing is, unless you're paying a lot, using an older framework basically limits you from ever getting the top tier developers because they have options, even for lead positions in most cases. And this almost certainly increases the amount of technical debt that you have along with increasing your inefficiency. So you're, you're going to essentially get to a point fairly quickly where you're so inefficient that you can't get rid of the thing that causes you inefficiency. Higher turnover, as we've discussed quite a bit, um, will also lead to drop in productivity as critical system knowledge leaves the building for a better place to work, really. It could be better paying job, retirement, anything like that. Especially if your your framework of choice is, is extremely old because you, most of the people there are going to be a lot older. Yeah, I mean, I was sitting at a table with a bunch of you know older developers. It's been a few years uh, that were talking about some like stuff that predated me by quite a bit. I'm talking like pre-ODBC API and pre- DDE and some of those like really old techs. And, you know, they were talking about the stuff that they were doing. And one of the guys is like, you know, man, they're not going to replace us. He's like, look around the table. There are younger faces on currency. You know, (laughs) he goes like, you can pull a government paper that represents money out of, out of your pocket. And the dude's face on there is younger than yours. And you're one of the young guys using this tech. And that's a very real thing. Like, there's a lot of people just be like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to retire. Well, like, how do you incentivize somebody that's just done? They want to go enjoy their golden years. Do you know what that costs to get that dude to go? Yeah, I'll work for you for another year. That's going to be expensive. Oh, yeah. And the thing about it is, is when it happens, you get there very quickly and you can't get out of there quickly. So you're just kind of hosed. Now, speaking of getting hosed. Another issue that you have with old software packages is compliance risks. So regulatory compliance is here to stay. It's a major issue that business people tend to ignore if there's a tech component to it. However, the kind of compliance issues that you run into in tech really can't be ignored until the last minute and then fixed by interchangeable consultants. It typically is going to take deep expertise to fix your system to meet regulatory requirements. Like it's not a turnkey solution. No. No matter. And if you see an advertisement, by the way, for something that looks like a turnkey solution, it isn't. You're just going to get overcharged and then you're going to have to make one anyway. Uh, Just go ahead and tell you that that's not a thing. Yeah. Regulatory compliance can entail everything from your user interface all the way down to the underlying operating system. While third-party components of your software are maintained by others, the results of that software are your problem. If you have a compliance issue, the vendor is just going to tell you that you need to upgrade because it's not their problem. Yeah, especially you know, if they have something new. And if they don't have something new, more than likely, they're gone. And so there's nobody to sue. Mm-hmm. So it's still your problem. 
it's weird how often uh, people really ignore this. But the other thing that gets you here is that this gets complicated if part of your compliance requirements include things like audit trails that may not be in place in older versions of your dependencies mm-hmm. or like it's impossible to hook them up. There's no method override that I can put here to catch this event and log it. Well, guess what? If you're you know, statutorily required to log that, that's a problem. You can't reconstruct that data after the fact in most cases, or at least you can't do it cheaply. You may also find that newer frameworks do a lot of the lead work required for compliance while your legacy stuff is going to have you doing it yourself. This work can be substantial and could even require legal counsel get involved in your software development process to make sure you're compliant. That's always a pain. First of all, if you have a good lawyer, they're not cheap. Yeah. Right? A lawyer that can understand the technical implications well enough to actually give you good advice, like those dudes are rare. There's never enough of them and you're going to be paying a lot of money to do that. Mm -hmm. So like if you're, I mean, I've seen systems that were, for instance, building web pages with string concatenation out of a SQL Server query. Okay, right. So what happens when you have to implement accessibility standards in that software package? Right, like you have no framework that you're using. You're just rendering HTML because it worked in 1992. You're going to have a real bad time and you're going to have to implement it all yourself. There's not going to be any guidelines towards Mm -hmm. it. And you're probably going to have to get a lawyer involved. Realistically, you're going to rewrite or you're going to go under. Basically, yeah. So the next risk that you will have with older code is the Dead Sea effect within your development team. Your development team is going to suffer from an older framework. Basically, the better developers will leave unless they're close to retirement and or you pay them well above industry average. Even then, it may not be worth it to them. Yeah, I left a company that was like that where I was getting paid quite a bit more. And those golden handcuffs were not worth it because it was just it was miserable fighting with the old tech that and some other problems that were going on. Those like, there's no amount of money you could throw at me to, to stay in that situation. Now your junior devs that come into your company are going to need a lot more time to ramp up also when you're doing this, uh, because they probably didn't learn those older frameworks when they were in school, they learned something that they could actually, you know, get a job in. If you're using a really old framework, you may find the same to be true of your mid-level or even senior developers as well. That's true. And if you you keep using it, like I have seen some stuff written 20 years ago that a lot of current senior developers that I work with would not know how to do anything with because they it's so far away from the way things are done now. I'll give you a great example in .NET, manually implementing collection classes, pre-generics, and you know, resizing arrays and doing crap like that you know, under the hood, like we used to have to do that. And man, you drop that on a .NET team now, they're not going to know what to do with it. Or they're going to be old enough to know to dodge. No. And a lot of that stuff I remember from, um, I guess the things I was, the books I was reading in high school. The other thing, any developer that has been with your company for a while, they're probably well aware that they're going to have a hard time finding another job 
whether they're looking or not, or they're just coasting till retirement, that will cause them to kind of hoard knowledge and even undercut their coworkers who appear to be threats because they're afraid of being unemployed. And then they're unemployable until they ramp up on something while they're broke. Right. So people are going to take a decision that is in their self-interest and now it's not in yours. Yeah. You know, what's funny is I have seen this. I've seen this from people like this behavior because it had sort of gotten ingrained in them. And then when some new management came in and we're like, hey, we're going to start upgrading stuff. They fought every bit of upgrade, even though it was going to help them. Yeah, because, well, it hurts. It hurts everybody else worse to not upgrade. These things are relative. It's not it's not based on your absolute position. You're it's based on your position compared to everybody else. And yeah, there's it gets to a power struggle, really. Yeah, the whole thing here is really that it puts your employees in a really bad position. And the people that are most likely to stay in a bad position are the people that don't have options. And a lot of those people are the ones that will do the most damage to your organization and your product over time. So the next risk is data loss due to outdated storage formats or difficulty exporting the data. Right. Uh, it's not as common as it used to be. But you may find that older frameworks store data in a way that makes it hard to extract to use in other parts of the system, whether it's being used to simply extend functionality or as part of a replacement plan for the older system. Usually what I have seen when I have seen things, updates, was starting at the data storage layer. Right. And work your way up. Yeah. And work your way up. And so, yeah, that's that's the way I have seen it in the past. Yeah, you do like an adapter pattern and and work your mm-hmm. way up. I've I've seen it from the storage layer up, and I've also seen it from the edge in. Yes, yeah, yeah. That one's kind of funky though, because the only real reason you do it that way is because it's easier to do with the technologies that are there, because you got dependency injection and some of those things mm-hmm. that you don't have at the storage layer, but it. Ugh. It, it's it's rough to have to do this. And you'll also find that if you wait around long enough, even a newer version of your same framework can't work with the old data. Most software changes the way that it's going to store data over time. And your vendors are incentivized to make small updates and make it where the transition is clean and nobody notices. But with large version jumps, they don't really do that. And this is true, by the way, even if it's a big company, especially if it's a big company, right? Like Microsoft Word sometimes cannot read files created in older versions of itself. And it's like, hey, look, we own the format. We own all this stuff. And it's a multi-billion dollar company. and We still can't get that right. Now, while actual losses of data are fairly rare, they're still possible. It's more likely that your data will be inaccessible or very time-consuming and even painful to access. Well, and plus, if you write stuff around accessing that, guess what happens when you've got to move to a newer data storage? Now that you got to drag that technical debt forward, too. Speaking of dragging things forward, you'll also have more problems uh, integrating with newer software. You know, as with productivity, interoperability tends to increase over time with most software. And 
you could probably think of the exceptions offhand without me mentioning them. The older your software is, you know, including its underlying frameworks, the more poorly you can integrate, especially with newer software. This doesn't always mean that you can't integrate, just that it ends up being a lot more work. And this work can include the effort required to get around small, poorly documented glitches and potentially dealing with an anemic support process around them. Right. So you you run into some glitch that's not really explained. It's like, oh, well, we formatted dates in this weird time format that doesn't make sense. And now we're switching to this other thing. But on leap years, it does this weird thing that we can't fix. Okay, you know, Mr. Support Dude, how do I fix it? Oh, I'll go check. And you never hear back from that guy again. And that will be an experience you'll have if the software is old enough. Now, if it's it's a recent version change and they don't fix it, they're ticking off a lot of their customers. Mm -hmm. So you kind of want to be in that set. The problem goes a lot further, though, than just the data interchange formats that are available. It will probably include things like security considerations, so like authentication and authorization. Your software may not be able to use you know, the right version of HTTPS, TLS, et cetera, may not be able to sign things the correct way, may not be able to handle webhooks the way that they're trying to do it, or, you know, hey, they're doing GraphQL and your system barely understands HTTP. (laughs) That's one that's going to start hitting a lot of people pretty soon, I think. Yeah. Now, you may be able to get around some of this using some of the low-code, no-code integration tools that we mentioned in a previous episode. I think we had an entire episode on that, didn't we? Yes, we did. That was August 12th, 2021. When it came out? I believe so. Okay, cool. Uh, You know, I could be wrong. It came out, we'll say, in summer 2021. Uh, It probably came out on August 12th because that, uh, yeah, it did. It came out on August 12th. That was a Thursday. So, but uh, the thing is, the fixes will cost money and time. Yeah. I mean, that's essentially adding an intermediate layer to uh, make your stuff integrate. Another issue you'll have is failure to meet accessibility requirements. You could argue that tech companies ignore stuff for too long. I think we can probably all agree with that whether it's security, interoperability, legal considerations, et cetera, software companies spend a lot of time catching up to what they should have been doing all along. And accessibility is definitely one of those things. There are a lot of legal requirements around this, and a lot of software companies really have not gotten smacked with this yet. But it's almost certainly going to be a larger consideration soon. So because accessibility is complex and these huge cross-cutting concerns, a lot of software frameworks have started addressing these concerns at the framework level. Framework implementations tend not to be compatible with whatever you hand-rolled at work. So this can result in a lot of rework later on. And that can just be extremely annoying and I really wouldn't say painful, just obnoxious. Yeah, it's drudge work and yeah, it's drudge work that your intern probably can't do. Mm-hmm. Because there's going to be enough weird quirks that like it's going to take somebody senior and it's just going to waste a bunch of time. And by the way, it'll kill morale while it does it. And your company, 
probably has clients that are going to get suddenly surprised with accessibility requirements. Like they get a government contract and then all of a sudden, oh, wait, we have to handle, like our website has to be able to deal with screen readers. What? They probably weren't even aware that it was a thing. And tomorrow they're asking you about it. You may find that you're suddenly surprised as well because your client was surprised. And oh, by the way, they probably put it off to the last minute from a regulatory uh, concern. If you painted yourself into a corner by sticking with old software versions, it may be completely untenable to actually fix the problem in the time required. And you could lose the client in the interim. So guys, the final risk we're going to talk about is inefficient business processes. All of the previous concerns lead to this one. Older software can slow your company down, waste money, waste time, cause turnover, and generally do all of that in an undetectable fashion while you're defending it as being cheaper than upgrading. Yeah, inefficiency is not a small problem, even if the inefficiencies are small ones. They open the doors to competitors, and if they pile up enough, they can cost you enough that you become unable to get rid of them. It's like interest on a debt. Eventually, the interest becomes so high that you can't pay the principal. Yeah, this is why those high-interest credit cards are a bad thing if you're not going to pay them off every month. Right. We definitely do not advocate having credit card debt on this podcast. Now, this inefficiency may look like something you can overcome, but much of it is not immediately obvious. A lot of the inefficiency has to do with your ability to respond to risks and opportunities as well. And you don't know how bad it is until it's too late. Yeah. So a great example is, hey, suddenly we want to make our software available in Canada. We've got a strategic partner. They want to sell it. Let's go. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, how do I internationalize this software if I never thought about this before? Right. Like, you know, it's not like, hey, we just we make it more polite and you know, it's pour some maple syrup on it, right? Like it's a real concern just going to Canada from the US. It's not a minor thing. And if you haven't planned for that and your framework is behind, you're going to have a bad time. And if you're far enough behind, you also lose the capability of even seeing the new opportunities, like at a dev level. Like a dev can't sit there and go, oh, well, hey, we could integrate with this third-party service that does this. Let me run this up the up the chain of command to management and suggest this and go, Hey, maybe we should look at this. So that somebody in the business can make a decision, right? Because you're not in that sphere. Like you're, you're not experiencing that technology and you literally do not have the inputs that allow you to be creative in that way. It chokes you off and you never see it. And your tech team gets enough behind the curve. You know, not only will they not see it, but if somebody does happen to see it, they'll all shoot it down. So guys to company leadership, Outdated software does not look like a real problem. Instead, they treat it like an asset that is already paid off instead of the liability that it actually is. The problem with the way that software developers advocate for newer technology is they do it from the perspective of a software developer rather than the perspective of a business owner. While there are plenty of merits to using newer frameworks and technologies to get the job done, most of the things that developers like about newer frameworks don't matter at all to the people in charge. However, if you can characterize the risks in terms the business people can understand, you'll have a lot better luck convincing them to let you use newer technology to do your work rather than ancient, crusty, legacy stuff. 
So that uh, pretty much wraps us up. Beach, what do you have this week for us for Tricks of the Trade? So just like old code and frameworks can hinder a business, outdated concepts and understandings can hinder you. You know, the world is constantly growing and changing, especially in the realm of technology. And while you can find a comfortable niche in a lot of areas of development, you still need to keep learning and growing. Even if you're not on the the front end of technology, and by that I mean the JavaScript frameworks that change every six hours. Just now. now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I feel like that's gotten a little bit better, but yeah, it's not much better. I think in the early days of like Angular and React, there was a lot of new stuff and new new things that they kept throwing in there. And it was like, all right, let's get this out and then we can figure out the next new thing. And now it's kind of stabilized and it's it's becoming more, all right, we've got these, this set of features and we're going to build upon that. So that, that yeah. is true. This nuclear winner has smaller nukes. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, you know, even more stable areas of development require you to learn new ways of using the existing systems and structures to be able to interact with those faster growing areas. So even though like SQL isn't changing, the way it's being used may be changing. And so you need to to keep up with that and to learn and grow. Basically, you're either moving forward or you're moving backward. If you stagnate, the thing that you can stay comfortable in your knowledge you'll actually be moving backward relative to the rest of the world because everyone else is moving forward. And you may feel like, oh, well, I'm not moving backward. I'm just staying where I am. I'm not losing knowledge. But you really are because you're not gaining. Now, remember that no matter what your company says, it is ultimately your responsibility to keep your skill set up to date. You are the one who's going to be using those skills, not the company. And so it's on you because if you ever have to leave that company while you have found a comfortable niche there, it's going to be a lot harder to find something somewhere else. So even if you do have this nice, comfortable spot that you're like, hey, you know, it's this is nice. This is doing stuff I know really well. You still need to be pushing yourself and growing and learning even within that area because when you eventually have to leave, you're going to be expected to know stuff. Or if you're going to move up in that company, you're going to be expected to know stuff. So that's pretty much all I've got. Guys, don't forget to check us out in the Aftercast on Patreon, where we're going to talk about keeping developers when your tech stack is old and how middle management can sell upper management on updating to newer technologies and frameworks. Stand by for Titanfall. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Standby for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. For references, show notes, and extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Help us make the show possible by supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. You'll get extras, including a weekly aftercast where we discuss the topic of the week and bonus material with some of our patrons. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod, like our page on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram to keep up with news about the show. Join the conversation anytime via Slack by signing up at slack.completedevelopernetwork.com. 
Thanks for listening. See you next time.